Welcome to the Intern Whisperer Live, the show all about the future of work. We do not have Caesar here today, and he always does this really big opening for us, but he is not here. He is taking a final. So today's guest is Kimberly Edwards. Thank you, Kimberly. Oh, my I'm going to call you Kim, though. She is the Director of Healthcare Operations at Avalon Park Group, and we're really excited about you being here. Avalon is a really supportive organization and a partner for Intern Pursuit. And I am amazed at how deep the professionals are. We have the construction area and I met JJ and I met some of the people in the property management area. And of course there's Stephanie mm -hmm. and now there's you. Mm -hmm. So what we usually kick off the show with is just tell us about your background. Where did you go to school? Because obviously it's about interns. Our mm -hmm. show is about that. Mm -hmm. And we want to be able to certainly highlight that. But where did you go to school? And what was your major? And how did you get into assisted living? Okay. So I'm from the Midwest. And I went to a small private school in Minnesota. It's called Gustavus Adolphus College. And I've heard of that. I have, but keep in mind, I know schools all over the United right, States, okay. so yeah. So 2,300 mm -hmm. students, and um, when I graduated, I it's a small school, so they didn't have a like a wide variety of degrees, but my degree's in business, it was in business, mm. and so then I'm looking at, you know, what I want to do as a career, and kind of doing some environmental scanning, and thinking, okay, I love working with the elderly, I always have, it's been a passion of mine since I was little, I think a lot of that has to do with growing up with my grandma. I was going to ask, mm -hmm. I thought it must be really sweet memories mm -hmm. of yeah. grandparents. I think a lot of people that have a passion for long-term care have had some experience with grandparents mm -hmm. or somebody significant and elder in their lives. So then I had this opportunity to do a training. It was called administrator in training, but it was like an internship. It was supposed to be six months, but it turned into a year. So it was a paid internship with the Good Samaritan Society. It was a company out of it, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It's the largest not-for-profit nursing home organization in the United States. So I had this year-long internship where I learned to be an administrator of a nursing home. It was great experience. I think the main criteria with that is you had to be pretty mobile because I remember that I had to move to Nebraska for a year and that was a really difficult time to leave all your friends and mm -hmm. have to go to this small town and do your internship. So I had this internship for a year and then with this company after that, they place you in, in a nursing home as the administrator. So I was wow. 23 years old and the administrator of a nursing home. And it was a small nursing home in a small town in Kansas. Um, I'm from Kansas. You are? I was born in Kansas. Where in Kansas? Medicine Lodge, Kansas. Okay. A thousand people. It says 2,500. My dad and I were talking about it. Not really accurate, he thinks. But yeah, Medicine Lodge. And then we also moved to Wichita. Okay. Yeah. Um, this was in Wamego, so it's by Manhattan. It. Okay. And Stephanie's from Kansas. I know that. Okay. We've talked about that. <laughs> so then I was the administrator of this nursing home in Kansas for three years. And then my career sort of took off. But from there, I, I do remember, again, I was young, I mean, probably 26. And my boss called me one day and he's like, Kim, I have something you might be interested in. What do you think about moving to Hawaii? <gasps> um, because the Good Samaritan Society had um, nursing homes and retirement communities all over the country. So I 
moved to Hawaii. And I stayed there for six and a half years. I was the administrator of a retirement community there. That had to be amazing. You go from super cold climate, yeah. Kansas and Nebraska, I'm yeah. just saying, you know, all of those in that main mid area of the United States, super cold, and then Hawaii. Mm -hmm. So, oh, whoa. Yeah, so that was, I want to go back to something, but you said okay. that you did like an internship mm -hmm. and it was like for a year. Mm -hmm. Tell me, I would assume that you were paid for mm -hmm. that. I was paid. I was yeah. paid for that. I mean, this was a long time ago. I, I wasn't paid much. I mean, I was not paid much at all, but I think just right out of college, you don't need to have a really big check, paycheck, but I, I mean, I was paid enough to cover my living expenses. Mm. So it was a paid internship, but you had to go through that training to, to become a licensed nursing home administrator. So that's really that launched my career. And I've been in the field of aging services. Yeah. I, I, I have to tell you when I was in college, I went to University of Florida my first two years. My last two, I graduated from uh, Rollins College. One of the things that I did at UF is they had volunteer opportunities. And so I would go to an assisted living facility that was just right down the road from the dorms. And I'd like to volunteer also. So I was there and I was trying to get the people that live there, the residents, to do wheelchair races because so much of them were in there. And they, and they didn't, they just kind of would look at me and go, uh, no, that's not what we're doing. But I said, oh, it could be fun. But, you know, it's definitely for a certain type of person. But they did like animals. So we'll save that one, okay. definitely how animals play into this conversation. But let's go back to Hawaii. What was that like? I can't even imagine this. That's got to be the dream assisted living, aging in place, all of those opportunities. Was, I mean, it was, it was wonderful. It was a little retirement community right <clears throat> in downtown Waikiki on Lure Street. It was a great time to be in Hawaii, I'm young and single. And, um, and then I loved my job and I loved getting to know the residents and the culture there. And Did you learn how to surf? Oh my God, it just gets better every time. Yeah, yeah. And that was, I loved that. I love being on the water. I love anything to do. Unless we would go sailing and scuba diving and surfing. And, yeah. Oh, I don't even know why anybody would leave. But here you are in Florida, yeah. and so you can surf here. We have nice weather, not Hawaii weather, mm -hmm. but you know, mm -hmm. I'm guessing it might be pretty much the same. Is it? as rainy and tropical feeling it, as it is here? It's not as rainy as it is here. And they have always kind of a ocean breeze. So mm. the temperature is just very temperate. It doesn't have a big um, temperature swing. And a lot of places still don't have air conditioners, no air conditioners, no really? heaters. You just leave the doors open, no bugs. <laughs> so oh my God, no the, mosquitoes. The <laughs> doors open, yeah. Wow. I've never been there now. Mm. You've really painted a lovely picture. I definitely want to go there. So what is, I know we were talking about this a little bit before we started the show. And we said that we would talk not just about assisted living, but aging in place. Mm -hmm. For our listeners, why don't we give a definition of what those two terms mean? So they're hearing it more at the beginning okay. instead of a little okay. bit later on. So aging in place, we'll talk about. Yeah. Okay. So for any elder, there are so many options of what it's going to look like as you age. And it depends on, you know, your desires. It depends on your budget. It depends on your healthcare needs. So I think the majority of seniors would choose to stay in their homes because that's, you know, where all your things are and you're comfortable and you're 
texts and you know you can come and go um, easily. So then as people age and they need services, you can purchase home health care to come into your home. Someone might need to start with, you know, a bath aid a couple times a week, and then they might need someone to come and help them with medications. They might need someone then for supervision. So, you know, that seems to be what people are doing. They're staying at home if they can and providing additional services and paying for that. That's typically um, paid for privately. So some people aren't sure how they're going to pay for care as they need it or expect that it's covered under insurance and it yeah, to pay really is Medicare, Medicaid, does it cover any of that? Medicaid you know? will cover some. If you know if you qualify for Medicaid, sometimes they will cover some home care, but they will not cover 24 hour care. And mm-hmm. then, you know, as you need to tack on charges for care, and that's probably, you know, 22 to $25 an hour, there kind of becomes a tipping point where it becomes so expensive to stay at home and pay for your care. So again, right. it's kind of like, I always say it's like anything, buying a house, buying a car, you have to know what your budget is and right. what you can afford going in. And of course, you know, we would all love to age gracefully and not need care as we mm-hmm. age and just, you know, one day go to bed and fall asleep and, you know, die in your sleep. That's what everybody hopes to do, but that yes. doesn't happen for everybody. So mm-hmm. then, you know, as you look at different services, there's, you know, home health care where you can pay for that and stay in your home. Then there's independent living. We're getting ready to build an independent living community here in Avalon Park, which I'm very excited about. So that will be living with services such as the meals. We'll provide meals, weekly housekeeping services, medical oversight. So how is that different from assisted living? Because they sound very similar to me. So assisted living is turning into a more medical model. It used to be more of a social model where people live there and we provide the supportive services. But like at Encore, we have 24-hour nursing. We have Mm -hmm. some residents that are need some pretty significant nursing services. We have several residents that are on hospice. We have 24-hour staffing, assistance with bathing, dressing, eating, grooming, all of that. The independent living, you're really more independent, but there are supportive services that help you maintain your independence. So let me use this as an example. So I'm going to use my dad. He has the choice of being able to stay in his home. And at some point in time, if he no longer wants to assume the responsibilities of, oh, the dishwasher broke and, you know, the yard needs mowed, he could say, okay, I want to go into a different living situation where he might be in an apartment. So this is how I'm Mm -hmm. seeing this Mm -hmm. as I go from being in my own home to a place where it could be an apartment or someplace that's in Encore. And then as I, and so maybe there's just a cafeteria. I don't have to have a kitchen. Maybe I don't want to do the kitchen thing, but he could have his own kitchen there. He just Mm -hmm. wouldn't have to have the responsibilities of being in the home. Mm -hmm. And then it sounds like if I'm no longer able to do that, I would go to, oh, I need somebody to help me, like you said, groom, bathe, some of those responsibilities. And then if you're totally bedridden, is this the transition? Because that's how I'm seeing the transition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that type of care. Independent, living at home, purchasing services to take care of yourself. 
as you need them. Some people then choose to move into the independent living, transition to assisted living. And then the skilled nursing is really for people that have more intense medical needs. Oftentimes, if an elder's been in the hospital for a length of stay, they'll go into a nursing home, a skilled nursing facility, rehab facility. They have a lot of different names. They're kind of all the same thing. And they'll have rehab for physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, trying to get their strength back, their mobility back, their eating adjustments if they have a new diet, motor skills. So they'll work on all of that. And so if you go to a nursing home, it's not always that you're going to be there till end of life, but you might go in there for rehab and then go back home, whatever your home was. Or sometimes people do transition into a nursing home and stay there till the end of their life. Mm-hmm. So I grew up seeing some shows and one of them was the Waltons. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, families used to have, instead of if the family, grandparents were not able to take care of themselves or put them someplace. They all lived under one roof. I know that's not the, I guess, the world that we live in now. I think that there's some demographics that actually do keep their family, their parents and grandparents with them under a roof. But what do you think of just opinions? I mean, I I think that as I, I always want to see that my dad was able to, is able to take care of himself as much as possible. My mom died of leukemia and she, it was really important for her to be able to take care of herself as much as possible. But there came a point in time when she wasn't able to. So she lived with me for a little while and then she went and she lived with my brother. And it wasn't that she actually needed us to take care of her, but it was about the companionship, Mm -hmm. I think. And it's really, I I guess, a commentary on, I think, the parent-child relationship. And I know you're in a PC situation. I might be putting you in there. But it's just interesting to me that families may not want to have the responsibility of taking care of their parents and their grandparents. So they choose this option. And I think I'm kind of jumping ahead, but what should people look for when they're trying to make that decision? And how do you guide them in that? Kind of tiptoeing on eggshells. Okay, so kind of two topics of discussion there. But I think, you know, culturally, there are some cultures that are conditioned to take care of their moms and dads. And they just know that going into a relationship that, that mom or dad may end up eventually living with the family. But, you know, there's a lot of factors that come into play when families make a decision that someone is going to move into an assisted living. So, you know, you've heard of the sandwich generation. People are taking care of their kids and taking care of their elderly parents at the Mm -hmm. same time. But a lot of families now, both the husband and wife are working. And so there's not someone home to take care of mom or dad when they're home by themselves. And if they need supervision, that becomes a problem. Another kind of care option that we didn't talk about is day stay or there's adult daycare programs right. where people go for the day, then that's ideal for um, socialization mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, it's definitely good for socialization. And then for people that where mom or dad lives with them, but they work during the day. So there's there's that option. And then, you know, Isabella, people are living so much longer. So you mm. might take on that duty of mom or dad moving in with you when they're 80, but they might be living until they're 90, 95, you know, so that becomes a long, long commitment. And sometimes the elder wants their own 
space and they feel actually more independent when they move into their own space if it was independent living or even assisted living they feel you know you hear so many times i don't want to be a burden to my children and so they feel more independent by being able to move into an assisted mm -hmm. living rather than having to you know, live with their children adult children and feel dependent on them mm -hmm. so there's just so many factors that um, come into play when you make that decision and there's no right or wrong decision for anybody but you know definitely when you take an elder into your home it, you know going into a marriage it changes the dynamics of the home environment and it can be a challenge on a marriage and you know i mean it's just it's not for everybody mm. but there are some you know culturally it's more acceptable within some cultures yeah yeah i i found it really a challenging conversation um when it was my mom's you know she was going okay i i can't continue to I, I don't think it was that she couldn't take care of herself, but that she didn't want to. She was lonely mm -hmm. and she really mm -hmm. didn't want to live with just anybody. She was, you know, asking about speaking, you know, living with her kids. I will, I'm not going to lie. Like our relationship was one of those strained ones at times because my brother and I would kid about all three of our, you know, my two brothers and I, we would kid about our mom and say, oh, you know, if we told, if our mom knew anything about our life, it was out there and it was bigger than Facebook. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was one of the things that we didn't like about living with our mom. There wasn't like boundaries, but I miss my mom so much and we're getting, you know, pretty close to Mother's Day here. So I miss my mom, you know, the good and the bad, because I know I'm, I am my mom, mm -hmm. you know? But it was really important for her to be able to live there because she did want to be able to feel like she had that. And so my brother and I had both decided, okay, we will have um, you go ahead and we, we aren't having you pay anything. We don't want you to pay anything. We just want you to have the best life you can because she had leukemia. And so go visit your friends, go do whatever it is that you want to do. And it was challenging sometimes, even because of the leukemia, it impacted how she ate. She couldn't taste anything, nothing tasted good. And so there was this place of also not knowing as me as the daughter, I'm going, I don't know how to take care of my mom. So it was trying to find resources that could help with those things. And that's what we had to try and keep figuring out as just the two of us. Mm -hmm. Doctors were certainly helpful. But I think that's one of the big benefits of your industry is that you can help the children and the parents, whoever they, regardless of age, be able to navigate some mm -hmm. of these same concerns is a very small word, mm -hmm. but life, just mm -hmm. life, you know, mm -hmm. who, how do we want to live our life? Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, all the decisions that impact the future. So you, you don't even just come over and manage a facility. You have to be a psychologist, I would think, and then a, a family therapist. And there's just a lot of hats that you have to wear in your industry, mm -hmm. especially over such a you know, sizable, how many people are in your facility? We have now about 85 residents. So That's a lot of people. For 110, right. And you know, we don't, we don't even think about that. Like on a daily basis, I've been doing this so long. So I feel like I've kind of seen everything that's happened, mm -hmm. but like, I think what you're saying, that example, you as a daughter, you feel like you're the only one going through this all by yourself and you're yeah. the only one that's ever done it before. And, you know, I think it is helpful for those of us that have been in the industry to be able to say, no, this is common. This is, you know, this is going to happen. You can expect this to happen. Uh, you know, I would recommend 
you know, yeah. taking this tact on that. So we, I mean, I think the great thing about our jobs is that we can impact people's lives in a positive way mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And that is really meaningful. So, you know, yes, we're all of those things, but yeah. And like that. you said, you have a heart for this and it's not necessarily for everyone. And when you were talking about some of the many services that you guys provide, you also had mentioned hospice. And I know we were talking about that. My mom went into hospice and honest to goodness, those people that work there, they were angels truly in human form because they were making it really easy for us to know what to expect. Mm -hmm. And then they also shared, this was surprising to me that some people go into hospice, but they don't necessarily start the medication Mm -hmm. that actually is part of that end of life process, but they would get better. Right. And then they would get out of hospice. And I went, I didn't think that was even an option. I didn't know that was possible. I think when people hear hospice, it's just such a scary word, but you're right. I mean, people go on hospice and then they get these supportive services and they get better and they get off of hospice or they can be on hospice for a length of time, but it definitely provides an additional layer of support for the family Mm. and the resident as they're going through a difficult, you know, end of life transition. It's, it's a, it's a beautiful service. And, you know, I always say people that work in hospice, it's definitely a calling. It's it's not my calling, but it's a calling Mm. for sure. So let's touch on pets. Okay. Yeah, because I think that pets are so important because if I don't have my my kids around me or, you know, whoever, my significant other, because I'm sure that you've experienced having couples come into the facility Mm -hmm. together, and then they also bring, you mentioned earlier, pets. How does that work? Do the pets stay in the room? Are they allowed to roam throughout the whole place? Because I've not visited your facility, Mm -hmm. so I don't know what it looks like. So we don't have anybody right now that has a pet, but I have had where people have had cats or dogs and they do really stay in their rooms with them. And so if you have a dog, you know, you're just taking the dog out. Does the door stay closed? Because what I'm wondering... Again, I haven't seen it. Is it set up so it's like apartments so that they're in their own mm-hmm. place? Yeah, okay. everybody has their own place. It's really, it is like an apartment. So when you move in, you bring your own furniture so that it feels like home. You have mm. the comforts of home. Um, but we provide the three meals a day, weekly housekeeping services, the 24-hour staffing, nursing oversight. So that's kind of what sets it apart. But yeah, so you would be, it'd be like you bring in a cat. If you had a cat, you would bring it with you into your apartment. We do have some families that bring the dogs in where they don't, the resident moves in, but they don't necessarily bring the dog. It's been a dog that they've had. And so the family will bring the dog and that always brings so much joy to the residents Mm -hmm. and then we we've had in the past shelters where they bring animals in Mm -hmm. for the residents and they love that the residents love anything to do with children somebody Um, they can squeeze and love little little children we have daycares that come in pet therapy we have music therapy we have um, so many different volunteers that come into the building that add additional I think they call them enrichment activities and yeah Mm -hmm. the life enrichment program yeah Mm -hmm. definitely I I've seen that that word enrichment is being used at zoos as well as with pets Mm -hmm. you know an enrichment toy and I went what the heck what does that mean and like if it was for a dog it was putting peanut butter inside of something and then the animal has to figure out how to get to the peanut butter 
So yeah. it's to keep those mind mm -hmm. minds yeah. occupied. Yeah. I would think it's the same for humans. Mm -hmm. We have to they, keep them yeah. occupied. And they love they love children and the animals. They do some horticulture therapy, music nice. therapy, pet therapy. Yeah. So very nice. So so that's really exciting. Now there's this other picture, um, nursing homes. And I find that to be kind of an antiquated word, but I, I, I know there might be a difference. I was thinking assisted living was like nursing homes, where it's, it's somebody that's bedridden. And to me, that's part of what assisted living is. They're bedridden. But I don't know if there's a difference between nursing home and assisted living, is it? Okay. Are there's there definitely a difference. So you need to come to Encore and visit us. I am going to. a lot of vibrancy and a lot of life going on in that building. Assisted living people are ambulatory. We have we have two levels of care. We have people with dementia. So we have a secured memory care unit and then we have assisted living and the residents in assisted living come and go. You know, they go to mm -hmm. the grocery, they go out to dinner with their parents now post-COVID. I mean with their children. They're able to, you know, go out more freely now. But you called it a nursing home. Like I said, there's, it, the acronym is SNF, skilled nursing facility, but people would call it a rehab. Uh, they're all the same. So it's kind of independent living, assisted living. Then when you have more critical nursing skills that are needed, you will go into a nursing facility or you will go into a rehab facility after a hospital stay to get rehab to go home. So mm -hmm. The people in, I think your vision is more It's like, uh, uh, honestly, when I've gone to see people in them and there is, you know, I have a friend that is like 25 years older. And so she will go there when she's fallen or mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. And it looks very much like a hospital mm -hmm. and it feels mm -hmm. that way to me mm -hmm. too, because I hear things beeping mm -hmm. and there's stuff and equipment mm -hmm. in the hall yeah. and you have to open a room to go into a room. And so to me, that is what nursing living is. And to some extent, that's how I was thinking assisted living is. So I really appreciate that you're sharing this and educating our listeners as to mm -hmm. all of these differences and sometimes nuances. Yeah, it's definitely a level of care where there's still a lot of living to be done and you need to come and visit us. I am. Okay. Do I have to have an appointment? I'm just curious. No, you don't have to have an can appointment. can just walk in? Yeah, you can just. We're doing still for COVID temperature screenings. Yeah. Yeah. And we are just for our listeners. We're like six feet apart. Well, yeah, five probably, but we're definitely, and you've had a shot. You're, you're fully vaccinated. I'm getting mine this week. So anyway, back to this. So it's nice to hear that people can have that because in my head, I was thinking about dogs and cats and they're like in this hospital place and then they're like running around mm -hmm. and I'm going, okay. okay, how is that working? So I can now have a much more clear picture of that yeah. as people in their own apartments, so to speak. So events, when you guys have events, is it like one a week? Because I'm also trying to think about what would a typical day look like okay. for them? Okay. Yeah, because I know some of the places I've gone to, there's uh, board games, just different, kind of feels like a cruise ship, honestly. Yeah, so yeah. we have activities all day long. You know, of course, so, so stereotypical, but like a favorite is the bingo, pokino, but um, I had mentioned er earlier some of the therapies. The residents just got done raising butterflies, caterpillars into chrysalises, into butterflies. Ooh. So they, they've had so much fun with that. We've had a community support with donations for the 
um, butterflies and the milkweed. But we have, and then we have the middle school agriculture. Children are going to come and plant some plants in our courtyard. And we have the Avalon Park Middle School. This is pre-COVID has done a really great. That's like 4C, right? Is that the agriculture group? Maybe. Well, 4H. 4H. Yeah. Thank you. The Avalon Park Middle School has been very involved with providing a um, songbird music program for our residents, which they love. We've had so much community support with the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts and the daycare programs from Avalon Park that come and sing for our residents. And the Avalon Park Rotary has supported the residents and the staff with barbecues and different events. And we've just, we've had a lot of great community support, but there's always, there's always different activities going on at Encore. Um, The residents particularly love any of the music programs, Mm -hmm. uh, exercises and memory challenges and activities. Yeah. So we were talking about these great activities that you guys are doing. It sounds like there must be something going on. I don't know if it's every day, but definitely once a week. Because that's a lot that you have, mm-hmm. really fun things, and I'm I'm seeing a totally different picture of it now in my head, and that's it does sound so inviting, and I am going to go and well, go visit for have, sure. Yeah, we have three full time activity staff, so all day long they're you know providing different activities for residents. Very nice. So you answered a lot of the questions that we have here, and you know I know we've talked about it, but what are some tips that you would share with somebody that's considering coming to live there versus a family member that would be bringing their family into your facility? What are the tips? I, was, I don't know if they're the same or maybe they're different. So probably a lot of them are the same, but things to look for. If you are going to tour assisted living communities, each one has its own feel and personality. So, you know, you need to kind of see that when you when you go there. What does the staff look like? How do the residents look? Maybe stay and have a meal so that you know what the food is oh, like. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then... Do you guys have a chef? We do. We have a, a dietary manager. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, that's chef. definitely what they're called. Yeah. 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 And then things that differentiate or with some other assisted livings, we do have 24-hour nursing. I mean, you might want to ask about that, what the staffing levels look like with comparative you know, a major purchase in your life, you would have to go in with a budget. So you have to know what you can afford when you're shopping for an assisted living or, you know, the care, like you might like the most expensive product, but you might not be able to afford it. So my grandmother had Alzheimer's and when we were considering my mom and her brother, and even to a certain extent, myself, because I was local, my grandparents lived here in Orlando. When she was going to be going in there, some of the things that we found out is, okay, she owned a home. We had to sell the home. We had to be able to show that she had no money um, and be able to use that money to be able to get in there and then position it. I don't know whether it was Medicare or Medicaid. I really don't know the difference between the two. I'm going to be honest. But there was a certain way we had to position. And the facility was really, really helpful with that. She went into one that is, I think at the time, it was on Redbug over there in maybe it wasn't Castleberry, but a little bit further. It might have been considered Winter Park. And we were looking for a place that would have events, even though she wouldn't always know what was going on, something in you know, on site, 
she wasn't really able to go out, but they did have a bus and they could take residents out if they were going to doctor's appointments or whatever. It smelled really nice. That was important to us that, you know, it felt clean and it was, you know, that we were going to be putting her in a place because that's really what we ended up having to do, make a decision as to where she would live so that she would be comfortable and ourselves would be comfortable. So those are some of the things that people had told us to look for, mm-hmm. but I did not know about having to sell the, she lived in a condo, her, mm-hmm. my grandfather died first and then you know, it was my grandmother, but being able to make sure that we had some of those things set up, what they also helped that I think was significant is to make sure that we had legal paperwork mm-hmm. taken care of. So if there was a do not resuscitate or whatever, and those are things that people, I don't think they think about. I think you're right. I think it's right. It's so, Wills. Yeah, it's so important to get the power of attorney documentation set up really ahead of time because once someone becomes incapacitated, it's too late, then they can't give someone authority to be their decision maker because they don't have capacity. So you have to plan ahead of time for that. And then it sounds like you're planning with what you did with your, that was your grandma? My grandma. Is Medicaid planning. So again, you have to plan ahead for that type of thing. And the difference between Medicaid and Medicare is Medicare is the insurance product. So Mm -hmm. Medicare for someone over the age of 65 is what pays for your hospital stays, they, they do pay for the rehab, short-term rehab, 20 days, Medicare pays for that. But then otherwise, it's either private pay. Some people now have long-term care insurance or for someone that is financially um, indigent, you apply for Medicaid and then Medicaid helps pay the cost of care. It's expensive. Mm. And that's more in a skilled nursing facility. Thank you for sharing that. That's for sure. Something else that was this just popped into my head also because it's something that you had said. It is not just for, for people that are elderly. There actually have been others that are sometimes in their 20s and 30s, mm-hmm. and they end up having to go mm-hmm. into these facilities right, too right, right. because the family can't take care of them. Right. For if, you know, quadriplegic, paraplegic, some kind of accident, brain injury. There are people that need that 24-hour nursing where you're dependent on others to provide your care. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a skilled nursing facility, you're right, Isabella, is not just for elderly people. And I I think that there's a perception that it always is. Mm -hmm. And we forget about another layer of people that are truly needing those Mm -hmm. services. Mm -hmm. So that's, have you ever had children? in there too? We have not. Okay. So it's like 18 and older, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wasn't sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's go to this question here. What do you think is one of the best memories of how you were either able to help a family or something that really made a difference of how assisted living could help? Because for me, I rely on, you know, you all be able to help me make a good decision. Mm-hmm. So I would think that's pretty rewarding, honestly, mm-hmm. that you know that you're giving good information to mm-hmm. people and educating them. Yeah, you're right. It is rewarding. And I, I, can, I don't know that I can pick a, an exact, you know, story, but we do have lots of stories where when people move into an assisted living, it's kind of like it's a decision that no one wants to make, but it's like a, a decision that you're forced to make because you've your mom or dad can't stay home by themselves any longer and be safe. 
but we've had, you know, the adult children time and time again say like, I can't believe how much my mom is thriving. She's so much happier mm -hmm. here now that we've gotten her out of her home. You know, when they're sitting at home watching TV all day, it's not, it's social. not healthy. It's not healthy. And so between the socialization and the proper meals and getting their medications on time, we really see people thrive. They improve, mm -hmm. they do better, they're socializing they're happier. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it doesn't have to be like that end of the road, desperate decision. I, I think sometimes families think that they've failed their mom or dad some way. It sounds like it's to. more peace of mind too. Mm -hmm. It definitely gives the adult children peace of mind to know that their um, mom or dad are going to be cared for. And, you know, and then it does take some pressure off of the as well. I would agree. I know right before we were making that decision, my grandmother, and it was something that was really hard. It was really hard to watch. She had been in a couple of car accidents, so we knew that she wasn't able to drive safely anymore, and it was dangerous for other people. And then she was also, to get that socialization, because she was in her home, she wasn't really friendly with uh, friends, not friendly, but friends with maybe the neighbors. She would go buy stuff, and then she would go back and go return it just for the socialization side. And that's what we actually were able to figure out. And it was it was sad to see that happen. I think that's mm -hmm. that's the part. So I definitely was able to find a lot more comfort by talking with people like yourself and I'm sure your staff are constantly trained on you know what is the best practice and how do you communicate all that to people because this is a lot for everybody to carry mm -hmm. and for you guys especially because yeah. you work with all of the people. It's a big a big transition it's an important time. Well we're going to take a brief break to acknowledge our sponsor and we'll be right back. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. Back to our show. So it's all about internships and remembering those people that gave us a chance. And let's go and look at what the future of work, because we have all of these people that are graduating from school. They're looking for jobs. You know, what type of work do you think that it's not going to be just a job now, but what should they be thinking about? What would your industry look like five to 10 years okay. from now? Well, I would say the great thing about the field of aging services is there are everybody gets old, lots of <laughs> options, right? And we're all going to age. Yeah. So, um, you know, it doesn't have to be any of the options that I've talked about today, but we've talked about so many options within the field of aging services, there's independent living, there's assisted living, there's skilled nursing, there's hospice, there's all those services. And then there's all kinds of ancillary services that support that industry. So I think it's a very healthy industry. It's a vibrant industry. Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's been challenging during COVID, but it's fairly recession-proof again, because we're all Everybody aging, gets old. Right? And so- through the recessions, it's been a great industry. And again, like I, it's a passion of mine. I love working with older adults. Anybody that's interested in it, I would definitely encourage you to pursue that avenue. It's um, certainly been a wonderful career path for me. I would think that this is definitely not a, maybe it's a two-year career path and some type of education, but it seems like it would really be more of four years because I think you have to have some background in psychology, 
you have to have some background, obviously, in business like yourself. If you're on the floor, there's still some unique specializations that Mm -hmm. could be a two-year, but it seems like most people will need at least two-year, preferably four. Mm -hmm. What what would you think is going to be the norm? And then it just kind of depends on what avenue you want to get into because there is, you know, there's the business side of a business office, billing, insurances, there's all of that. There's all the nursing components. There's the- You mentioned dietary. So yeah, the there's, food. you know, chefs and dietary. There's that UCF Health Services Administration degree, um, which is a great avenue if you want to go into administration in nursing facilities, assisted living um, communities, hospitals, hospitals, any of that. I've had I've worked with several interns from that health services administration program, and there's so many avenues for what those students go into where they end up. That is really good to hear. So what I think it's going to be like is like Star Trek. So people would be able to be teleported out of a place. So five to 10 years, maybe, I don't think 10, but let's say 15 to 20, where somebody is in there, they're needing to go to the hospital right away. I don't even know where the closest hospital is to you guys. East Florida. I mean, the Advent East. That one on Lake Underhill. Yes. Okay. I do know where that one is. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. but just to not waste time, they get teleported, boom, and they're over there in the hospital. Like that's how I see something like that happening. And then we always have the internet of things and wearable technology. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that all pays place in there. Yeah, definitely they'll be using technology to keep elders safe in their homes, wherever that is. I mean, now a lot of adult children are putting the cameras in their homes. They, they and Alexa, their hey, call the fire department. Dads, right, but they have the cameras where they can check on them. There's automated medication reminders, so people use that. There's the, you know, call button systems where they can tell if someone, the elevation has changed on the call button, so they can tell if someone's fallen. Um, they have now shoes with GPS trackers for people that, you know, tend to wander. So we'll definitely be more dependent on technology in the next, in the coming years. Holy cow. Shoes with GPS. That is amazing. And that makes total sense. Mm -hmm. I always think about, well, what about the people that are barefoot? And you know how you chip a dog or your pets? I'm thinking at some point they may chip us. Kind of makes sense because right now they don't do it through a chip, but it's in our phones. Mm-hmm. And that's how they track people. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a, a lot of places. Um, my phone has you know health apps and I can yeah. track all yeah. of that. So yeah. it definitely is there. Mm-hmm. You mentioned something and I totally skipped this question, but COVID, how has COVID okay. impacted it? Well, I talked about how challenging it's been. Last year, yeah, this time we were in the midst of it. So it was, uh, I mean, people were scared. It was, a, it was a tough time to be in long-term care. The residents were very isolated at that time. We had that governor's executive order where the building was basically shut down. So families couldn't come and visit. The only people that could come into the building were essential healthcare workers. So that was, you know, our workers, doctors, physicians, the hospice workers, but otherwise nobody could come come and go. And then, you know, the transition for the employees of having to wear masks and every day we're, you know, still doing the temperature checking and the screening. 
We had to get tested every two weeks for COVID. I, I'm really proud to say we never did have a positive case wow. for our residents. We were able to keep them healthy and safe the whole time. We're really proud of that record. We did have, be. with every two weeks, we did have employees that would test positive from time to time. So then we'd have to pull that employee off of the schedule and test out all the residents that they had worked with. But thankfully, with all the safety measures in place and the mask wearing, um, we were able to keep our residents safe. We have now about 97% of our residents have been vaccinated. So that is helping take a little bit of pressure off of all of us for providing safe care. We're still working on encouraging the employees to get vaccinated. Families are so much happier to be able to visit their loved ones. And that's so important for the residents to have that interaction. We've had some family members that were used to coming every day and then couldn't come and see their mom or dad. And that was hard. That was a hard transition. How are you able to do that? Because, you know, to do video calls, did you end up having to get more technology so that people that were residents could actually, they may, maybe they didn't have a tablet or a computer. How were you yeah, able to we keep did, them in touch? We did have to invest in some iPads and then staffing time too. We had to kind of pivot on that because that, that's really time consuming because you're basically doing one-on-one yeah. activity. It's, Not everybody could maybe hold the tablet, no, right? Or I mean, use the again, technology. Like two thirds of our residents have dementia or some kind of memory deficit. And so that even is challenging when they see their daughter on the screen, but they don't really understand like, what's going on? Why are they here? Why can't they come? You know, and it's so important to the adult children to see their mom or dad and see how they're doing. So throughout that time, that was definitely, definitely challenging. And it it was hard. It was hard on the residents. I mean, to be so socially isolated, it was really hard on the residents and it was scary, scary for the kids of the residents and scary for the employees as well. I mean, I really have to give them credit throughout all of last year, you know, coming to work, showing up, doing their jobs during a time that was um, kind of, you know, uncertain for all of us. Mm -hmm. Real, that Mm -hmm. is just like really, really something to absorb. Hopefully we don't have this type of a situation that would happen again because, Mm -hmm. you know, humans are social. Mm -hmm. We we really need each other. So we pulled some additional research and we talked about what the future of assisted living will look like in 2030 and beyond. And what's really amazing is that the Elder Care Workforce Alliance estimates that 3.5 million additional healthcare professionals and direct care workers are gonna be needed for the elderly by 2030. It is estimated there's gonna be over a million people needing to have housing and healthcare in 2030 for those elderly services and assisted living in their own homes and they're being able to live in their own homes. These are all relevant. Anyway, some of the technology that's gonna be out there, they'll have some remote monitoring devices. And so like we have smartwatches and people can wear that and it tracks your vital signs and you know all of the, the things that it tracks, how many steps you take, how much water you take, take in, all of those things. But there's gonna be another app that will be used among seniors and it's called Mind You. And it's put out by MU Cognitive Technologies. The company has a virtual assistant, my Eleanor, and she calls the Medicare Advantage members to assess their health status using personalized clinical questionnaires. 
And during this call, Mind Use Analytics Engine is working in the background and powered by neuroscience and artificial intelligence. And it's listening to both the verbal and the nonverbal cues to detect subtle changes in health. So this is pretty interesting. And this was shared by Brittany Ferry, an occupational therapist who's seen an increasing number of her senior patients using wearables and other home-based devices that monitor blood pressure, oxygen levels, activity, sleep, food intake, water intake, and all of those other good things. So that is super interesting. The other thing that um, we also found in our research is that people can do so much more to protect and improve brain health and there's a company called Brain Guide, and it will be a platform that's there at the right time for adults of all ages. George Berenberg, the chairman and co-founder of Us Against Alzheimer's, said this, whether you are proactively working to improve your brain health, concerned about memory, seeking more information after receiving a diagnosis, or caring for a loved one living with Alzheimer's, Brain Guide offers relevant insight and guidance. So they're gonna be able to help those people with those, those types of health issues. Robotic caregivers are gonna be for seniors because we will not have enough people to be able to manage that. So they're already focused on creating robots for that. As the elderly population increases in number and people live longer, the number of caregivers is not expected to keep pace. Japan predicts a shortage of 1 million caregivers by the year 2025. While in the United States, people aged 65 and older are expected to increase to roughly 26% of the total population by 2050. That is unbelievable. That is a quarter of our country will be in need of assisted living, you know, aging in homes, things like that, that's really significant. The Robotics Industry Association sees elder care robots as among the solutions that will be actually embraced in helping to fill caregiver shortages. And the International Federation of Robotics is expecting 2021 sales of medical robots to more than double than the 2018 totals. So what kind of things can robots do for the elderly? Um, they can get water and food for them. They can help with social and emotional needs by providing entertainment through games, events, and appointment reminders, along with social engagement. And they can provide mobility and transportation support. And they can also aid with dementia care. As populations age and workforce shortages loom, many organizations for economic cooperation and development, also called OECD, will consider robots as an inevitable solution. Along with telemedicine, career giver robots can be deployed in hospitals and nursing homes to protect patients and residents from contagious diseases, think COVID. Japan is facing a projected shortage of 380,000 care workers by 2025, as earlier stated, and they've been an early adopter. They have had more government awareness campaigns and substantial subsidies to be able to support this. Already, 26% of the Japanese nursing homes report using robots primarily to monitor patients and provide interaction. 
but they're also there to assist with patient transfer, mobility, toileting, or bathing. And you know what? That kind of makes sense because, you know, it is about a person's um, dignity. And many times elderly, they are just angry. I know, I'm sure all of us would be the same way if we cannot go and bathe ourselves or go to the restroom by ourselves. So it might seem a little bit more okay if we were working with a robot. So there's another company called U Waterloo Researchers and they found that the COVID-19 pandemic is easing people's resistance to robot companions because in the face of human contact, we had a lack of it here. There was, I mean, we couldn't go and see our families if they were in assisted living or in hospitals. So, you know, obviously we're made for relationships and for having the ability to hug and, and just love on people. A social robot can, to some extent, act as a companion and reduce that feeling of isolation. The survey of 102 Canadian adults found that openness to buying or using special robots has, a, has actually risen, particularly among those who report high levels of loneliness. The boomer demographic is in need of more health care and it's just coinciding with a shortage of already of, of people that are not in that profession. So you got to think about it. We're going to need a lot of clinicians and nurse practitioners, home health and personal care aides, mental health, massage therapists, respiratory therapists. So, you know, if you're thinking about that, the U.S. is expected to see a shortage of over 43,000 primary care physicians by 2030. And additionally, between 33,500 to 61,800 care specialists will be needed, as well as an unknown number of nurses. The ratio of unpaid caregivers is also decreasing from seven for every one senior volunteer. When we say unpaid, we're talking about volunteers, people. So from seven for every one senior today to four for every senior by 2030. And the one thing that I think we should all remember is that we're all getting older. We're all gonna be experiencing this. So this is not something that we should uh, be afraid of. We need to actually embrace it and make sure that we are ready for this type of future of how are we going to take care of ourselves. What is the best mentoring advice that you would like to pass on to our listeners that are in college or just any of our listeners, honestly, because I think that this is one of those topics similar to death that people don't want to talk about very often. And I feel that people um, should not be afraid of it. They should go ahead and just embrace the topic because knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. We've heard that before. Mm -hmm. It helps to break down walls. What, what advice? That's, that's what I would say is like, Talk about stuff, put it out in the light. What would you want to pass on? So for the students, students looking for mentors, you know, when you find a mentor, I would say just really embrace that relationship. You know, when I was young, looking back on the people that mentored me, it's interesting because you don't really realize how much you don't know. And I, I didn't realize how much I had to learn, but I, I do know that the people that mentored me along the way saw things in me that I didn't see. Yeah. And um, if you can just really embrace that and, you know, challenge yourself, but be open to learn, 
you can learn from good mentors. You can learn from people how to do things. You can learn from people how you don't want to do things, how not to do things, but always looking for like the, you know, what's the opportunity for me in learning in this moment? I think that's advice I would, I would give. I think that's solid advice because people, we're used to hearing the bad stuff about ourselves, not the things that mm -hmm. are complimentary. Mm -hmm. So that um, the, the time that it may take somebody as a mentor to be able to say, so let's look at what you're doing really well. Mm -hmm. What are the best skills that you have to be bring to the table? That's important. And then where are the areas of growth? People see, oh, I don't know this is like, so can you learn it? Mm -hmm. Or is it a skill set that is better for someone else to have? Because the most important skill I would think for your industry is that it goes back to how you opened. You have to love the elderly. Mm -hmm. You have to be really passionate mm -hmm. about them. Mm -hmm. It's when I was a public classroom teacher, I knew when I reached the time I needed to leave mm -hmm. because it was 11 years and I went, well, I want something different for my life. So you don't want to be working there because they can tell if you like yeah them or yeah, not right. and you I mean, don't want to work right. with them if it's a passion it's like i said earlier you know you have a opportunity on a daily basis to make a positive yeah. impact on someone's life that's that's for me that's really important yeah yeah because elderly are very much just like a child we can't come into the world like a child where we have to have somebody that helps take care of us but that's also many times how we leave this mm -hmm. world where we still need somebody to take care of us mm -hmm. so just realize we're all in this together, I guess. We're all in this together. Yep. So how can our listeners find you and also Encore? Okay. Encore, you can check out our website at Encore at AvalonPark.com. Oh, let's spell it too. E-N-C-O-R-E-A-T-A-V-A-L-O-N-P-A-R-P-K.com. So Encore at AvalonPark.com. And um, court with the at sign. The first is the at sign. The second and is spelled out. Got it. Thank okay. you. The phone number is 407-270-7500. I am on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn, Kimberly Edwards. And my email is Kimberly at avalonpartgroup.com. Well, I want to thank you so much. I have just thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Like I said, I think it's because people don't really think about this or they don't want to think about it, but you are a wealth of information and just shared so much. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what does the future look like for this industry. I do too. Thank you, Isabella. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you.